the Beatles had this chant, John, Paul and George, and probably then Stuart and Pete had this charm when things weren't going well, which in their world wasn't very often because mostly it was an upward trajectory, but nonetheless, sometimes you know, they would have a bad night or the gig would, you know, didn't work properly or the amps broke or whatever. I say, where are we going, fellas? And they'd go, to the top, Johnny. And I'd say, where's that, fellas? And they say, to the toppermost of the poppermost. And I'd say, right. And we'd all sort of cheer up. Now then, boys, what are we going? To the top, Bry. Where's that? To the toppermost of the poppermost. Welcome to Side B of February 1964 here on Toppermost of the Poppermost. I'm Ed Chin. I'm Kiro Chul. And I'm Martin Quibell. So you're receiving this a little bit later in the year, but we just got a wonderful accolade from Andy Darer on his WordPress listing the top 10 greatest podcasts of 2023. Amongst the shows that are listed, the Steve Dahl podcast, the Joe Rogan experience, it is what it is, 33 with William Patrick Corgan, Billy Corgan, yep. the Adam Carolla show, minus three extra points, a sports show, the Super 70 Sports Show, and the Gary Mayer Show. The other two, at number seven, this is number seven in alphabetical order, I don't think it's in any particular order of preference, is our very own Toppermost of the Poppermost. Wow, we're up there with Joe Rogan. These are national podcasts, and he puts us with them. I'm very happy about that. Absolutely. So he, he says, This new Beatles podcast finds the three hosts going through the charts month by month, beginning in October 1962, as the Beatles take over the world. Often discussing the lesser-known artists that share chart space with the Fab Four, this is such a great idea for a show. Thank you very much. Yes. And full disclosure, I know Andy personally. He's great, uh, very knowledgeable. He hosted... Uh, podcast, The Andy Darer Show. He also co-owns a great record store in the Chicago suburbs in Westmont called Blue Village Vinyl, and he uh, hosts this blog that uh, we're talking about here, The Andy Darer Show. I also like to thank him at number eight, Talk More Talk, as another favorite podcast of his. So thank you, Andy, for mentioning Toppermost the Poppermost and Talk More Talk. We thank you for your support and spreading the word about our show and really thank you so much for... uh, And if you want to help us out, remember to rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Yes, indeed. Or wherever you get your podcast. All right, so we start with the Billboard charts the week of February the 8th. Last month, it was number one on the Cashbox charts. Now it's number one here on the Billboard charts. The Beatles with I Want to Hold Your Hand. Woohoo! Hey! Such a 
number seven, There She Loves You. Two Beatles songs in the top ten this week. Beatlemania is here. And as we spoke about on the top of side A, the Ed Sullivan shows are coming and that's just going to turn this little trickle into a giant waterfall. Drinking from the fire hose, as they say. There you go. At number 24, one of the really classic Four Seasons records, Dawn, Go Away. Ah, breath of fresh air. We've got a good one. Yeah, this is really good. I'd forgotten how good this song is. Particularly that bridge in the middle of the think part. Love how it's got that bit of R&B to it. Love the Frankie vocal on this, too. You know, he goes from that falsetto to then getting that little growl in his voice. Just a classic vocal. Love the arrangement. The percussion is on point. It's just a classic Four Seasons record. I'd put this on a compilation of their greatest. And we did come up with a list of a dozen terrible songs from 1962 to 1963. Maybe we'll share it with you. Maybe we won't. We'll have to decide. (laughs) I'll do a Spotify playlist for you all. Yes. (laughs) The interesting thing about this record from a Beatles perspective, the Four Seasons were also having their issues with VJ at the time. They were having their own royalty dispute. I mean, as we know from the Beatles side, VJ was not good at paying their royalties to their artists. And he had this record by a group called the Four Seasons, who were formerly the Four Lovers. They had some success in RCA years ago as the Four Lovers. He had a record called Sherry. The Four Seasons had recorded as the Four Seasons. Before on Gone Records, crew had placed them there, nothing happened. And he went down to a convention of a group that is no longer in existence. There was an organization called Armada, the American Record Manufacturers and Distributors Association. Abner was very active with that organization. And he went down there with this master, and he made a deal with Abner for VJ Records to release the Four Seasons for something like 16 cents a record. Well, needless to say, it was an instant hit. It was a real fake out because nobody thought a white act would appear on VJ Records. And not only was that an instant hit, but they had two number one records behind it. They had three number one records in a row. Sherry, Big Girls Don't Cry, and Walk Like a Man, and VJ Records was getting their brains kicked in. They just did it big time. But the Four Seasons wanted their money big time. So they sued their producer, Bob Crew who then sued VJ. So they sued Crew for their money. Crew has to sue VJ. 
So as the lawsuit was proceeding, that a group recorded Dawn and a handful of other songs, and they kept the tapes away from VJ, which then claimed breach of contract. And this dispute was not settled until 1965, a year after the Four Seasons left VJ. And the group then signed with Phillips Records shortly thereafter, and then Dawn uh, Go Away was released in January 1964. And so they were in the midst of all these record label battles. Uh, as you said, VJ was not known for treating artists well in terms of paying them. But, I mean, you can see why VJ was so desperate to try and hold on to the Beatles at this point, because their other act was also later dudes. Exactly. Yeah. And, of course, and, you know, the Four Seasons was a big loss for them. It says, we know from doing the show, and, and just we know in general, I mean, the Four Seasons were hit-making machines. Well, and now the Beatles versus the Four Seasons makes perfect sense in that context. Exactly, as they were the top hit makers of that era. Dare I say, if you treat your artists like leftovers, then you are going to be flushed away. Yes, very good. (laughs) So during the six-week run of this song in the top ten, the only songs that would ever be above it were Beatles records. Wow. So She Loves You and I Want to Hold Your Hand would hold the top two slots, and then Twist and Shout and Please Please He would take up slots number three and number four. So (laughs) it would never manage to get any higher because of Beatle Records. Wow. Wow. She Loves You, yeah, yeah, yeah. She Loves You, yeah. You know, we've talked about the sound-alike groups and the labels which would put out sound-alike records. So in the States, these records were placed in grocery stores and sold for 39 cents. (laughs) There was a label out of Nashville, which was specifically called Hit Records. Gee, that's kind of subtle. (laughs) It lasted from 1960 to 1968. But at this point in particular, they put out a single. The A-side was... She Loves You by The Bugs. Okay. And the B-side was Dawn. And it's actually not a terrible version of Dawn. The She Loves You is just awful. But the the version of Dawn is is not too bad. again, is a bunch of studio musicians in Nashville thrown together, was the Cellos, C-H-E-L-L-O-W-S. I, I thought that was a little bit clever. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> oh, it's the Four Seasons and the Beatles crossover again. So that's the A and the B side, and they would actually put out an album. So featured on this album were those songs, Please Please Me, She Loves You, Dawn, and also Glad All Over and My Bonnie. 
Oh, jeez. They didn't know what was going to be the hit. Here's a bunch of Beatles singles. Pick some. Record them. <laughs> yep. Wow. And Fun 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 is also on this album. Oh, dear. Who is it that said the version of My Bonnie's got a better drummer than Pete? <laughs> uh, that was me. Apologies to Pete fans. Yes. <laughs> They kind of cut out the slow intro. It's not a terrible version of My Bonnie. It's very much a ripoff of the Beatles record. But yes, the drummer is better than Pete. The drummer can do some fills. Yeah. Yeah, the fills are pretty good. You have to admit. So. But you can see, you look at this, it's like, particularly parents, it's like, my, my kid wants She Loves You. Where, oh, gee, I can pick this up for 39 cents. <laughs> yeah. so and it's, we get this other hit record on the other side. That's yeah. cool. So it's the bugs, you know, close enough. No, close enough. Nobody will notice. <laughs> <laughs> All right. At number 48, Good News by Sam Cooke. A tremendous song. A banger. Uh, no banger. Easily, yes. <laughs> One of Sam Cooke's best. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and what's interesting is that he adapted it from uh, Spiritual. I got a letter just the other day Telling me that she was on her way And she wants me to meet her at the station Ain't that good news, man, ain't that news In the letter she told me she still loved me Ain't that good news It's debated how far back it dates. There's one that goes back to the 40s. There's debates that could even go back earlier than that. But it's uh, Ain't That Good News. The original lyrics, at least one that dates back to the 40s, goes, I have a crown in the kingdom, ain't that good news. I'm going to lay down this world, going to shoulder up my cross, going to take it home to Jesus, ain't that good news. But then he took those lyrics and rewrote them, talking about something more secular. But that's, of course, not surprising because Sam Cooke came from a gospel background and his vocals drenched in gospel. So he really gets to show them off here. And interestingly, too, this was the first song he recorded in the six months following the drowning death of his 18-month-old son, Vincent. And he had signed a new deal with RCA Records. He was both reaching back to his gospel roots, but also looking to do something a little new. So it's a bit of a different sound for him and maybe going into a little bit of a different direction. You can hear all the passion in his voice. Really incredible performance. It reminds me a little bit of you know, Tears in Heaven, where you can hear mm. the, the sadness in Eric Clapton's voice. You can definitely hear the sadness in Sam Cooke's voice here. Yeah. Exactly. It makes sense, you know, considering what he had been through. All right. At number 49, Wow Wow We, He's the Boy for Me by the Angels. It's okay. It's a good enough pop song, but it's still pretty average. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wasn't crazy about it. This is going to sound harsh. Fun, but pretty inconsequential. <laughs> Just not that great. I mean, it's not my boyfriend's back, that's for sure. It's not that memorable. Cliched lyrics. Yeah. Okay. And this is only six months since they've been on Sullivan. As we mentioned, they were on the second show of the season, so their star was as high as it was going to get. And it just shows you, if you want to keep it going, you had to put out not just material, but good material. Exactly. This was not it. It just was, as you said, Martin, just cliched. At number 50, Freddie Cannon with Abigail Beecher. This was a record that was on Swan, and some people have indicated that this was part of how Brian Epstein would find Swan to release She Loves You. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. He was looking around for another post-VJ label, and he certainly knew of Freddie Cannon. I mean, he had had some of those records at NEMS, and so I was like, well, what other labels can we go to in the U.S.? And there's that one. Oh, my gosh. I mean, Dwayne Eddy also had some Swan connections, so, you know. He would have seen the label and at least known of it. Mm -hmm. Wow. And this was a song that I didn't recognize it immediately by its title, but as soon as I heard it, I thought, oh, yeah, Dick Biondi used to play this on the oldie station here in Chicago. Mm -hmm. Same one that played Sugar Shack and all that. (laughs) I was working in that jewelry store. So I immediately recognized it when I started listening. It's just kind of a fun silly song. I mean, you know, Freddie Cannon would put out songs like this, fun, sing-along tracks. Palisades Park is the one that he's probably most well-known for. Exactly. That was his biggest hit. But I couldn't believe it when I started playing this. I thought, I haven't heard this since I was in high school. So this did get some airplay even back in the 80s on Oldies Radio. And he did a cover version of I Want to Hold Your Hand, I believe. We won't talk about that one. (laughs) Uh (laughs) uh-oh you don't want to listen to it you Mm. just don't want to listen to Mm. it thing about freddie cannon in 1961 he had a song called transistor sister which is ever so slightly proto mersey beat it's got the harmonica it's got a beat which is kind of along the lines of from me to you not really but just enough that you could see lines being drawn between that song and the way lennon and mccartney would write it's certainly something that went into the stew and we know that the beatles knew of this song because there's a clip from the plaza hotel when they're getting ready to go to i believe it's to central park 
you know, mm-hmm. Paul has that little Pepsi transistor radio and he's walking around and the film crew is filming him. And he turns to the camera at the very end and says, you know, that's Transistor Sister playing on the radio. Yep. <laughs> that's kind of cool. Yeah. So Corley knew him. She's my Transistor Sister. I was the radio under her arm. But no one can resist her. Cause she loaded her with a musical charm. We move on at number 57. There's Please Please Me. Thank you very much. Uh, We would like to sing a song now, which was a record for us, and it was our first hit in England. And this is... In England, way back in England. And uh, this song was released in America. It didn't do anything, but it was released later again. And... uh, well, it's doing something, you know. So, this, yeah, it is. So, so we'd like to play for you now a song called Please Please Me. Catching up. Yep, there's the third Beatles song on the charts at number 68. There's Sawyer Standing there, which was on Capitol, the flip side of Wanna Hold Your Hand. Mm-hmm. This is an Eddie piece, take three. Well, since I saw her standing there. Well, since I saw At number 70, Can Your Monkey Do the Dog by Rufus Thomas. This is stacks with every bit of what that word means. Exactly. You gotta love Rufus Thomas. You know, and, and as you said, this is stacks all the way. Starts out with old McDonald at a farm, the, the tune. I mean, come on. You know this is going to be good. <laughs> It was written by Rufus Thomas and Steve Cropper, who was part of Stax House Band as Booker T and the MGs. We will see them later. And this is just good old Southern soul. It's a party record. It's a dance record. The horns, my gosh. It would have been fun to see Rufus do this live. As you said, Ed, it's Stax. It's just so good. All right. At number 71, Bye Bye Barbara by Johnny Mathis. About the only really good thing I have to say about this record is that's Leon Russell on the piano. I was shocked. It's ever so slightly gospel, but 
it's not a great record. No. It's better to leave you this way. You couldn't change, I couldn't stay. Never more to hurt me deep. Bye bye, Barbara. conducted by John Costa, who's a you know, famous conductor arranger. There were some good people involved in this, and I think the writer, Paul Vance, wrote a number of songs, including one of Johnny Mathis's hits that we've seen previously and heard on this show, What Will Mary Say, which was a huge hit for Johnny. But this, I can't imagine, was another big hit for him. It's not a very memorable song. That's three of us in agreement. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) All right. At number 81, Livewire by Martha Rees and the Vandellas. This is one too far. I mean, you know, we had Heat Wave. We had Quicksand. This is the third. And this is just like, okay, we've heard this already, guys. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. This is not one of Holland Dozier Holland's most unique. Martha Reeves lead vocals on this. I mean, man, she just gives this raw, really very soulful, gritty vocals. I like her raspiness. I mean, she really takes us to church on this. But other than that, not a very distinctive song. I can't imagine that this was that big a hit for them. It's too reminiscent of their other stuff. Unimpressive and uninspired. Yeah, exactly. At number 83, Bobby V with Stranger in Your Arms. He is starting to try and pick up the Mersey Beat influence, but it's not very good. It just kind of lies there. It definitely needs more life, and there's nothing really notable about this record. The way you smile, the way you speak, every little thing you do seems to say in every way you found somebody new. It don't feel right with you tonight. I don't know who's to blame, but maybe when I hold you tight, you forget and call me by his name. Nothing memorable about it. Produced by Snuff Garrett, but still just trying to to catch on to the trends, and it's just there. It's the same sort of cynical thing that we picked up from last year. Oh, we're going to do a surf record. Oh, we're going to do a Hootenanny record. 
oh, we're going to do a Mersey Beat record without really understanding what that meant. Right. Yeah, it's just a copy, and it's not genuine. I agree. There's another one later where I notice the similarity to a Beatles song. I will just say here, that one was intentional. This one was just kind of, let's be cynical. Yeah. They really, really tried on that other record. This was just, oh, let's do that. Yeah. At number 84, we're drawing to the close of Little Peggy Marsh. Mm. I'm watching every little move you make. Maybe slightly better. I mean, we've had some terrible records from Peggy March in the last couple of charts. This is maybe slightly better, but it's still a, a pretty mediocre record. The horn break in there is just laughable. I just felt so bad for her because I Will Follow Him is such a great song. And after that, I don't know if it was rage. I don't know what it was that they couldn't find the right material for her. This one is just kind of a written-by-the-numbers girl group pop song. There's nothing really distinctive. I know I keep saying that, but it's true. There's nothing really distinctive about it. Don't like, I don't know if that's an organ in there. I'm assuming it is. I mean, it has that kind of roller rink sound to it. It just doesn't do her any favors. And it uh, was written by Paul Anka. Oh. And, yeah. Again, you we've talked about it before. Paul Anka is capable of writing great stuff, but none of this does her any favors. And it's just a shame that, you know, she had that one hit and then nothing else really matched that. Is it just me that feels like it's a bit like a stalker song? Every move you make, every breath you take. Oh, I guess Sting must have liked this too. Yeah, that's right. That's where Sting got the idea from. No, no, we're just kidding. Apologies to police fans out there. Yes, we're kidding. (laughs) All right. At number 86, he'll have to go by Solomon Burke. If you want me, answer yes or no. Darling, I will understand. Put your sweet lips a little closer. Closer. To the phone. It's a solid soul song. The backing strings are a little bit heavy-handed. The violins are badly recorded. Yeah, I agree. It's not well-produced, but Salman Burke, good lord, what a voice he had. Just gorgeous. Definitely, we've talked about his gospel roots, and definitely you hear the gospel influence here, but not as much as on some of the other songs that we've talked about on this show. You can just hear the pain in his voice here, you know, calling his lover and, you know, hearing that there's another man background and saying, you're going to have to choose. And it's just, he's so dramatic. You could just hear it in his voice here. He was just, wow, what an emotive singer. And it's not one of his best, but, you know, but his voice saves it. He's one of those singers who... If you give him a good song, no matter even if there's some bad production, and and I hate to say it, but there are times with Solomon's work where there is some questionable production 
decisions made. His mm. voice is always there to show that it is a good song, even though there are those questionable bit, bits here and there. Absolutely. He really can rescue a song, even though, as you said, it can have some bad production in it, bad recording. It. He can still save it from that incredible voice of his. By the way, this song was originally recorded by Jim Reeves. Called He'll Have to Go. Please welcome Elton John. your sweet lips a little closer to the phone and let's pretend that we're together all along tell the man I turn the jukebox way down And you can tell your friend there with you, he'll have to go. Whisper to me, tell me, do you love me true? Or is he holding you the way I do? Though love is blind. Make up your mind, I've got to know Should I hang up, or will you tell him he'll have to go? At number 87, Eddie Holland is a lead singer with a tune called Leaving Here. It's got all those Motown trademarks, but from this you can see why Eddie Holland was really not a frontman was never going to be a real great frontman. Better songwriter than a performer. I mean, he sounds fine. He's got, you know, his voice sounds like a little Jackie Wilson quality, but definitely not as charismatic. And the song definitely doesn't have the kind of hooks that he's written for others. the gospel-influenced piano on it. It's a danceable kind of track, but other than that, is it on any level to the stuff he wrote for the Supremes or anything like that? No way. It's not even good Holland, though, your Holland. It's no. kind of mediocre. Exactly. Would exactly. have made a nice B-side for the Miracles. Yeah, it would have definitely been a better song with another singer up front. Yeah, yeah, he doesn't have that strong a voice. It's fine, but it's just not very powerful. At number 92, Little Boy by The Crystals. It's We, we love The Crystals, but this is just a, a formulaic song. It almost kind of reminds me of that Orchids tune we had last month. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, oh, except this is actually Phil Spector and Jack Specs Nishi doing it together. And it's like, oh, well... Yeah. Oh well. Little boy, you probably don't know it. 
like somebody pretending to or trying to do their sound, but surprisingly, it is them doing it. Yeah, yeah that's a good way to put it. Yeah, and, and it's overdone. I mean, and I know that's like, what do you mean? It's the wall of sound. I think it's way overproduced. And at times, the wall of sound overwhelms the girls' voices. I think it's way overdone. And also, at times, sounds like Benny Kiss Me. I mean, there are times where I thought they were going to launch into it. I don't <laughs> I mean, like the lyrics much either. No, I agree. Very trite. No. Yeah. But it's still a better record than the next one. <laughs> at number 95, <laughs> the Trash Men return with Bird Dance Beat. We've talked to cynical ripoffs before. This is definitely one of them. But they're ripping off themselves. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they've got a thing going there, haven't they? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Someone's giving them the bird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All I've got to say is there is no reason to listen to this record. Yep, unless you just want to hear Surfing Bird Part 2. I will shake your shoulders and I'll move your feet. We're going to stomp to the bird dance beat. I will pop your arms and I'll move your hands. So we're going to rock to the bird dance band. We listen to it so you don't have to. Right. <laughs> if you've heard Surfing Bird, that's all you need to hear. But providing a service. That's what we're here for. <laughs> uh, at number 97, Since I Found a New Love by Little Johnny Taylor. Again, this is kind of just run-of-the-mill formulaic soul. Yeah, kind of a typical blues progression. He sings it well. Great soulful voice. But other than that, not particularly memorable. I think it would have been nicer stripped back without all the horns and just have a basic couple of guitars, drums, bass, and perhaps a piano, maybe, don't know. Mm-hmm. I think you're right. Yeah, I think if it had been stripped down and really let him go with that voice, yeah, I think it could have been better. At number 98, Have You Ever Been Lonely by the Caravels. We've talked of them before. They were actually held up as one of the, oh, look, Something's going to come from Britain in 1964. They were kind of the first <laughs> British act before the Beatles to exactly. have a hit. Frank Ifield, obviously, he was starting to make his inroads. You know, it sounds funny now, but there were at least little pinpricks coming through. Yeah, they had a hit. We've talked about it before. You don't have to be a baby to cry. So this is their next one. Have you ever been lonely? Be a little sort of quaint Mm. they have a sort of old-fashioned sound to them they don't sound like they're from 1964 Um, i mean andrew's sisters is what we've kind of compared them to before exactly i've put down the production is almost dreamy late 40s girl singing group so the andrew sisters would fit with that a little fun but still it's kind of overwhelmingly throwback and cheesy exactly but they're 
there's just something quaint about them. You know, they're kind of charming in a way. The production reminds me of what George Martin would do for Ringo Starr's version of Dream. Dream, and they might come true. And I found a reason why they were at the Washington Coliseum. They had actually had a tour scheduled of the United States for February of 1964 before any of the Beatles stuff had started to happen. And it's like, oh, well, you're going to be in the States anyway. Why don't you just go and open the show for this new hot act? In Billboard, they tell us that the Caravels arrived here for a five-week personal appearance tour of the Midwest. They will hit Wisconsin, Minnesota, Iowa, Oklahoma, Kentucky, North Dakota, and ending in Chicago. Yay. Chicago. (laughs) With, With an afternoon and evening show for the teenagers. The tour was arranged by General Artists Corporation. Even in 1964, that's not the hotbed of hip America. Right. At least somebody thought enough of them. Let's get them on this show with the Beatles in D.C. So, okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Cool. But yeah, so they had actually had a tour scheduled and booked through GAC. And GAC being the same corporation, which would work with Brian to get the Beatles tour up and going. We move on to the next week, February the 15th. At number one is I Want to Hold Your Hand. At number three is She Loves You. Because she loves you. And you know that can be bad. Yes, she loves you. And you know it should be bad. Ooh. She loves you, yeah, yeah, yeah. She loves you, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like that, you know it should be bad. With a love like that, you know. At number 45 is Please Please Me. At number 54 is Saw Her Standing There. At 67 is My Bonnie. Mine head is my dear, my darling. Mine head and my dear, as glue. Noch trennen uns Lande und Meere. 
see why they recorded it in Nashville for that knockoff album. Of course. Tony Sheridan making some money there. Mm-hmm. Exactly. At number 69, fun, fun, fun from the Beach Boys. Classic, Classic. Beach Boys. Yeah. Uh, Classic. The, the organ and the guitar are just really great. And, of course, the harmonies are just brilliant. Oh, those tight four freshman influenced harmonies. Doesn't get any better. It's you have fun, fun, fun till the daddy takes the TV away. Fun, fun, fun till the daddy takes the TV away. You walk like an ace, now you walk like an ace. She makes the Indy 500 look like the Roman chariot face. You walk like an ace, now you look like an ace. A lot of guys try to catch her, but she leaves them on a wild goose chase. Even in a song like this that can be dismissed as teenage, fun, beach, that kind of thing, you can hear in the harmonies just how much they were getting more and more sophisticated and and just relatively short time, Pet Sounds. This is sort of like the beginnings where they really hit the thing with the divergent harmonies where you'll have a couple of people singing one part there and another couple singing this part there. So you'll have them singing different bits completely and then one singer that's left would sing mm-hmm. another part that's in the middle of all that. So you'd have all these different vocal things overlapping with each other that create almost like an orchestrated vocal in essence. Right. Exactly. That's the thing. I mean, you know, in this period, it's really easy to overlook just how sophisticated and complicated these vocal arrangements were because in a song like Fun, 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 you're getting so caught up in the fun lyrics about cars and girls. And when you listen to that, just as you pointed out, this is some sophisticated stuff. Well, And you can also very clearly see that they're moving past what they were able to do with their instruments. Yeah. You know, why they need to bring in the Wrecking Crew in order to play what Brian had in his head. Do we know who that is doing that really great guitar riff? Is that Glenn Campbell? I would guess that's Glenn Campbell. Could be. At number 71, Blue Winter by Connie Francis. I don't quite understand this song. Yes. It's a kind of a slight copy of Blue Christmas. Yes. <laughs> yeah, the first time I heard it, I thought she was going to launch into Blue Christmas at one point, and then it makes a turn. <laughs> it's gonna be a blue winter without you. It's gonna be a blue country sounding it definitely isn't just a straight pop song but yeah very odd song i don't really quite understand it either elvis had recorded blue christmas in 1957 although connie francis would have been familiar with the original version from ernest tubb and that would also explain the country a little bit more Mm, okay that would definitely explain it we still have no proof that this was a rewrite of blue christmas but it sounds like it it sure does and who uses the phrase blue winter? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Very odd. All right. We move on to number 76, Hello Dolly by Louis Armstrong and the All-Stars. 
Satchmo. This is both Louis Armstrong's signature song and one of those all-time classics. Yeah, and this has a, a very interesting background. Of course, this song came along at the same time as the debut of the stage musical. And apparently, Louis Armstrong made a demonstration recording of the title song of the show, the signature song, at the behest of his manager for the song's publisher to use to promote the show. So Hello, Dolly opened on Broadway on January 16th, 1964, and of course became a tremendous success. So that same month, then Louie's publishing demo was released as a single and ultimately became a huge hit, ending the Beatles' streak on the charts and became one of the biggest hits of 1964. At the time, he was the oldest artist to ever reach number one on uh, the Hot 100 since its introduction in 1958. This was a pivotal song in uh, Louis Armstrong's career. It's a great one. As you said, it's Satchmo. What do you expect? That distinctive voice, you know, he gives the song a New Orleans treatment. It's a classic. Yeah, I like the London Records ad that they put in Billboard and Cashbox. This is the disc that pushed the Beatles from the number one slot in the USA. That shows you how the record industry realized, even now, this is not just a short-term fad. This is something that we need to take notice of. Yeah, exactly. It was quite an accomplishment and maybe a little bit of, hey, our older artists need to show these whippersnappers how it's done. (laughs) Whippersnappers. You've been in the UK too often. Yeah. (laughs) The Dave Clark Five and Glad All Over was at number 77. At number 81, here's the Four Seasons again with Stay, the same Stay that the Hollies covered. And while it's not terrible, it's also not all that good. I like the original, the Maurice Williams and the Zodiac. Agreed. That's the best version. Best version. Yep. I think this is fine. I like the percussion on this, but other than that, eh, not great. And, you know, it sounds like we're being rough on these songs, but I will say this American chart is significantly better than certainly November, December, and it's actually probably a little bit better than January as well. We've got a lot more really good songs, not that this is one of them, but, I mean, even the bad songs, with a couple of exceptions, aren't just awful. Right, exactly. The other problem is that the Four Seasons have done some absolute bangers to compare this to. Exactly. It's not bad. It's just not one of their best. Yeah, it's just like, okay, well, great. You covered it. You had to put out another record. And I mean, and as we mentioned, they're having their issues with VJ. So it's like, well, we don't want to put too much effort into our recording. Yeah, exactly. We got, we got one really good song. And well, just in case we have to put it out on VJ, we don't want to give them too many hits. Yep, exactly. At number 84, Tell Me Baby by Garnet Mims. The way this record is, it almost sounds a little bit like a Spice theme. You know, a little bit like your James Bond kind of thing. Yeah. Tell me, tell me, baby. Can't you see a bride? Tell me, tell me, baby. 
amazing voice and really is considered an underappreciated talent because he really had a lot of influence in soul music and rhythm and blues. Of course, he's best known today for the song Cry Baby, which Janis Joplin famously covered. I don't like this one as well as Cry Baby, but he was an incredible singer. I think this is a, a little overarranged, but his voice is undeniable. Yeah, yeah we covered Cry Baby back in the summer. Uh, yes. Janis Joplin stole, borrowed, shall we say? She didn't steal. She borrowed a lot of the arrangement for her version. For sure. So you saying that this is a bit like a spy theme with more soul. Are you saying then, Ed, that this is like Shaft 10 years early? <laughs> yes, there you go. It's kind of got that feel to it to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep, he was ahead of his time. <laughs> At number 86, the return of Johnny Cash with understand your man we get a little bit of the mariachi horns at the end there but but i like this song this was a really big country hit Mm -hmm. don't give me that old familiar cry and cut them all understand your man you better listen to me honey understand your man First of all, boy, it borrows more than a little from the melody of Bob Dylan's Don't Think Twice It's All Right. <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay, yes. I noticed that as well. we got to remember that Dylan was not a big hit maker at this point yet. You mm-hmm. know, Peter, Paul, and Mary were having hits with covers of Dylan records, but Dylan was still a New York singer-songwriter. Yeah. Johnny was listening to him, obviously. Yeah, I yep. would say so. And shall we um, mention a few of these lyrics? Let's see. Don't call my name out your window when I'm leaving. I won't even turn my head. Don't send your kin folks to give me no talking. I'll be gone like I said. You'd say the same thing that you'd be saying all along. Lay there in your bed. Keep your mouth shut till I'm gone. <laughs> Ooh, but Ooh, to tell you what people thought of it at the time, Cashbox's <laughs> review of this song said, oh, this is a medium-paced Rhythmic ditty, which offers a meaningful plea for man-woman understanding. That doesn't sound like that to me. I mean, my God, when I read that, I thought, were we listening to the same song? (laughs) This This, this this sounds like a guy telling the woman to shut up. Yeah, exactly. Screw you, I'm leaving is is what the song should have been called. You're going to have to get a South Park thing into there, Ed. Just give me a minute. Yeah. <laughs> Screw you guys, I'm leaving. Now, Johnny, of course, being Johnny Cash, he sings, his voice sounds great. But these lyrics, boy, there are a couple of songs. There's this one and another song coming up that I'm like, what is this, Misogynist Month? <laughs> Damn. Uh, and then the other thing about the tune, Dylan borrowed a little bit from uh, Who's Gonna Buy You Ribbons When I'm Gone. So, right. I mean, it's not original to Dylan either. So Yeah, true. Yeah. Point taken. On to the next song, okay. which is a classic. Yes, it is. At number 97, as we've already discussed, this is already beyond the James Brown and the Famous Flames eras. This was a record that which they recorded in the studio, and they had overdubbed on it to make it live to fit on a live record. It is Please, Please, Please by James Brown and the Famous Flames. Please, 
this is a classic one of James's trademark signature songs. This is the one that when he used to do his stage shows, he would get down on his knees and then this sort of, I guess what you would call now a hype man, would come out and throw the cape over him and then, you know, they'd start walking off stage and then he'd throw the cape off and come back on. I mean, you know, this was a big song. What's interesting is that James Brown first released this song as a single in 1956, and it reached number six on the R&B charts, but I don't think it charted on the pop charts. But it was re-released in 1964, but the record label decided to just dub some crowd noise over it to make it sound like it was live. But it wasn't, it was the same record. Yeah. It, it was just, you know, they just wanted to make it sound live. Because it was going on a live album. Yeah. And then, you know, it became a hit on the pop charts. I just think that's really funny that they just took the same record. Please, 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 please. It's an incredible, incredible record. I mean, it just shows you the charisma he had. I mean, of course, it was even better when you saw him live doing it. But James Brown's voice on this is just... And there is a genuine live version of it from the Tammy show. Yes. And and that is classic. Yeah. That is just brilliant. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. I just always picture him walking off stage and looking at Mick Jagger and company and just saying... Beat that, boys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and then the, on the writing of this song, uh, there's an interesting story that Etta James used to tell. James Brown and the group were sitting around trying to come up with ideas for their first song, but James Brown used to carry around this tattered old napkin with him. Little Richard had written on it the words, please, please, please. And James Brown was determined to turn that into a song. And boy, did he ever. So as deserved for the month of February 1964, we can't just do two shows. We're going to have to go once again to a side C. We'll be back with the final two weeks of February 1964 real soon. See you then. Take care. There was a piece in the NME, a news piece, that said the Top Rank Records, remember when Top Rank had a record label? Yeah, they introduced an LP series next week that will be called Toppermost. And it's coinciding with their current advertising slogan, Toppermost of the Poppermost. Yes, I thought, they got it from somewhere. They saw that. They must have seen that in either the NME or Record Mirror or Disc, Record and Show Mirror, as it was then. And they've taken it from there. They've obviously thought, how stupid that is. How stupid is is one of those phrases that someone, an older person who doesn't understand teenagers, comes up with a slogan that they think is going to be the hip slogan of the month. Toppermost of the poppermost.